Hey everybody, welcome back to Unafraid, the podcast that st- shares stories and discussions from the queer life experience. I'm Jay, and this is episode number 40, and I'm, I'm hoping that that's a lucky number for whatever reason, I don't know, it's an even number. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty excited about it today. We've been going for quite a while now. I do want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Rebecca Jonesy, who is the one that's kept this podcast going. Rebecca is an author and a publisher and a good friend of mine, huge ally to the queer community. Rebecca, thank you so much uh, for sponsoring the show and making sure that I can keep doing this. Um, I don't think there's any big news I need to cover, anything like that. It's not really a news show anyway, but the country has been quiet at least the last week or so, so that's a good thing. Uh, But I have an amazing guest today that I cannot wait to introduce. Mitch, how are you today? I'm amazing, Jay. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, it's it's a good morning because I, I already had my therapy appointment this morning, so I'm feeling energized. I'm like, all right, I can make it through another two weeks. Unbelievable. Yeah, my therapy is riding my bike like a lunatic outside for an hour and a half. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Yeah, so- I chase my endorphins and it helps me not kill people. And so far it's working, <laughs> <laughs> but it's only Wednesday. <laughs> We'll see what the rest of the week has to bring. Well, <laughs> you know, so far we're safe. Well, so Mitch, tell us who you are. What do you do? I'm, oh, I'm just a hyphen <laughs> to fucking death. I'm a writer and an actor and a director and a producer and um, sober and a sex maniac. And um, I have a one-man show that's an hour and a half that's traveled all over the world. I have a series on Amazon called Smothered. Everybody get out your pens and paper. It's smotheredtv.com. Go on there. You can binge the fucker in 25 minutes and give me a five-star review. That's just a brief thing. <laughs> well, and, and for those of you who don't know what a pencil and paper is, because you're a uh, much, much younger oh, yeah. than us. Uh, you, the the link to that's going to be right in the episode notes, so you can just click it. It'll be even easier. Oh, my God. That's so great. Yeah, I'm 100 years old. That's why. <laughs> oh. oh, well, you know, and you're, you're out in California, right? I am in L.A., and today we're having an unseasonably cold. I mean, it's like everyone's building bomb shelters. It's 54, and it may rain. Oh, oh my Everyone's locked goodness. in their house. Everybody canceled their appointments. It's <laughs> shocking. Oh, I'm not I'm not that shocked, I, I suppose. I have uh, relatives that live in Arizona, and it's pretty similar. Oh, God. I know everyone's bringing out their furs. It's frightening. <laughs> well, in here in Michigan, it's still, uh, you know, it's 30 degrees, and at least You're it's You're in Michigan? Snowing. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Chicago. Oh, no used kidding. to go to South Haven. No kidding. Yeah, well, so you know what it's like here. <laughs> I know exactly what it's like there. That's <laughs> hysterical. Well, and, and I like to think that we... We might have the best summers in the world because, I mean, it gets hot, but it's not like out, you know, out west hot. But I'll tell you what, this stinking winter business is just the worst. Oh, God. After growing up in Chicago and then running away to New York at 19, I did like the worst of winter, you know, winter and weather. And I'm so fucking over it. That's why I live in L.A. (laughs) I only want to do winter if I'm being paid. There you go. Hey, I, I really like that idea. And, you know, I, I talked to a friend of yours a, a few weeks back, Jason Stewart, and uh, he was oh, yeah. he was telling me that I should just move out there. And I was like, yeah, maybe I could just crash on your couch for a while. And But, you know, he got hung up on that part. I don't think he liked that a whole lot. He's not all that giving. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, he's really not. He's not generous. <laughs> He'll tell you what to do and then back away. <laughs> It's like such a backhanded compliment. Yes, come to Palm Springs and find your own bag under a, you know, under a bridge and sleep there in a box. But we could visit. Uh, you, you know, I, I, I really found him pretty awesome to, to talk to. He's a really earnest guy. And, and then I was watching Smothered and watching the two of you. I was like, oh, my Lord, what, what am I in for when I talk to Mitch? Because you're, you're, you're such the aggressor on that show. I know. Well, he took the best and worst parts of both of us and put him in there. I mean, I like to think that that's an amped version of myself. 
but I am very aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I just don't have any filter. Well, that could be too. That could be too. But, uh, mm. you know, I, I think that maybe not having a filter probably is probably a product of, of maybe your environment a little bit and your personality because you you had kind of a a crazy young life and we talked a little bit about this over email can can you get into a little a little bit what about what it was like growing up you know with your with your mom and dad oh for sure i mean that's where all this shit started <laughs> i mean and i was happy till i was six and then you know shit happened but my parents were speed freak alcoholics so it was really a very colorful little little environment and, and they were always fighting you know so there was like glass flying through the air and my sister was being thrown and I was being thrown and my brother was being thrown. I mean, like flying through the air like Peter Pan. And um, my mother was basically, you know, banging everybody in the neighborhood. And my father was like this workaholic, crazy, rageaholic. And he was the baby of like nine brothers and three sisters. And once I was born, I'm the oldest. He was no longer the baby and never forgave me for it. Plus, he I scared the shit out of him because he's like six feet tall, blonde hair, blue eyes, and I'm this short little gypsy, you know, with big ass green eyes, and I'm very, you know, quote unquote, artistic. So I was always like painting and singing and, and, and dancing, and I wanted to be, you know, <laughs> a major star, and I didn't care, and, and he was just like, I scared the shit. It's nothing he ever wanted. And, um, well, I just, so, I just want to say real quick that this, this all sounds like the beginning of an episode of evil lives here on discovery channel or something. Oh, hysterical. That's great. <laughs> yeah. It was like, he was so, it was just so, he was so abusive, you know, I mean, and then all of a sudden I got fat and pudgy and whatever. And he used to humiliate me in front of large groups of people calling me every fat adjective known to man. And it's like, and then, you know, I, your peers, I mean, they were spitting on my head and abusive and screaming at me and punching me. And my fifth grade teacher called me a, a poodle and uh, was throwing me and my desk across the room. And he was throwing erasers at me because he said, I walk like a poodle in heat. I mean, it was really fab. It was great. And uh, it's like, and then sophomore year in high school, everything kind of changed. Oh, you know, plus my mom loved me to death, you know, in between affairs when she was home. But when my father was really abusive, my mom didn't protect me. So she was co-signing his bullshit. So I believed that whatever he was saying was true, which like wounded my little soul. So I thought I was broken and unlovable and, un, you know, and, and just wrong. You know, and then sophomore year in high school, I found their diet pills and then I found God. <laughs> that was my, like, I was like, there was no turning back. The rebellion was on and I lost 30 pounds in a month. And the only nice thing my father ever said to me is, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, but whatever it is, keep doing it. So, so I was like, oh, okay. So, so the moral of the story so far is that diet pills work. A hundred percent true. <laughs> yeah. So we had something in common. He just didn't know about it. <laughs> and you know and then you transform and then it's like all of uh, i just you know all of a sudden i was popular and funny and, and and sexy and people thought i was attractive and i was just like amazed so it's like that just carried on and i and i turned the the rebellion you know so since he tortured me so much oh and i tried to drown him when i was six and um we could go into that anytime. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, let's let's not gloss over that real quick. <laughs> let's let's dial back to from sophomore year to six years old. To, how did you try to drown your dad? Well, you know, I was in Chicago. We lived in Chicago, and we had my parents. We always had a lot of money and no money, and a lot of money, and we're broke, and a lot of money. So we had a boat and a speedboat. So he is one of our, you know, whatever they call uncles in uh, quote unquote was driving the boat. And my father was sitting on the back and I was sitting between his legs with my arms over his thighs. And I was, you know, he was just so horrible. So I banged against him and he flipped, you know, the boat's going really fast and he flipped over the back of the boat, but my arms were over his thighs. So they 
hooked under and threw me over his head. So I went down. And obviously he swam and couldn't. So the uncle that was driving it saw us go over and he went down and I was, I just saw myself going down, down, down. It was green, there was fish. I wasn't upset at all. And the next thing I know, I was like swimming up laughing. And that was the first time I tried to kill him. The second time <laughs> was with saran wrap over his head while he slept, <laughs> but he woke up and hit me. <laughs> Oh my God, your therapist must be rich. <laughs> I just make it into the material and I write it into shit. <laughs> very well. Oh. I have a very good self-image at this point. <laughs> I forgive myself everything and them. Oh, oh my God. So you, you get into high school and you and you discover diet pills, which are basically speed, right? Oh, yeah, they were dexedrine, 15 milligram timer for these spansels. I mean, there was no real reason to prescribe them, but my parents had Dr. Feelgoods. So I learned how to draw, uh, write their prescriptions, and I used to crack their prescriptions. So when I would bring their, their, their speed home, I would take seven out, put it in my drawer, and every morning I would take a pill and they would take a pill, but they wouldn't see me. And... When theirs ran out, I'd still have seven left. Wow. I know, isn't that wow. great? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was real. I mean, you were a smart kid. Well, you know, <laughs> it was survival, motherfucker. <laughs> so that was kind of the, the beginning of your rebellion. Kind of what, what came next? Well, I did what the one, I mean, in my one man show, it's, it's actually 100% true is um, we were, my father was screaming at me. So we were going to a wedding on his side of the family. And uh, I was doing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, this Matagogo 60s version, and it was all black and satin and shit. So he was, he was laying out all these plaid, olive green shit that I was supposed to wear because I was incapable of making a decision. And he was calling me fat and he was calling me retarded. And he was saying, you're gonna wear this and you're not gonna embarrass me and you're an idiot and you're, you know. And I was wearing black for the last three years because I was in mourning for my childhood. Plus I was skinny and that was great. And um, so I said, just go and I'll use the other car and I'll meet you there, you know? So I don't know why, but he said, yes. So I ripped off all that green shit that he laid out for me. And I put on my satin shit from the play with a long floor length cape. Nice. And I went flying into the ceremony at the Highland Park Country Club. Oh. <laughs> and the band stopped, all my uncles and aunts, mouths hung open with dollops of chopped liver hanging out. And I flew in and I saw my father and I flew over to him across the dance floor. <laughs> and I encircled him in my little cape and, and he whispered, you will never embarrass me like this again. <laughs> and I said, you're wrong. <laughs> oh, I, I'm just, I'm picturing this and it's such a, a glorious sight. It, it really is. Like it's cinematic almost, envisioning you sweeping into this country club with your <laughs> My life was a movie. I always <laughs> thought there was a camera somewhere in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I, I've just, I've got to double back on something because it was such a sure. great, um, it was such a great visual. And I, and I love how you tell this story in such a way that we, we get these visuals so we can really see. Like you... Mm. The um, what was it? Your fifth grade teacher told you you walked like a poodle in heat. Yes. And I'm like, wow, well, I can, I can totally picture that now. And no now shit. I... <laughs> uh, apparently, he did too, and he was our milkman <laughs> in the summer. Oh my god. Well, and I. It was <laughs> horrifying. Well, Do you no, know what I... I? Oh, oh, you know what? On Facebook, God bless everybody, because they're all connected. So I posted. They said, um, somebody posted about, oh, he's dead. And I said, boo-hoo, the motherfucker, you know, was an evil cunt. And <laughs> I guess his daughter <laughs> was on Facebook. Oh, no. <laughs> Can't you have some respect for the dead? <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, so I, I just quoted Betty Davis. She said, you know, you know, if you can't say uh, something good about the dead, don't say anything. Or so, so she said, she's dead. Good. I didn't really say that, but I wanted to. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> wow. So what happened after the, after the uh, country club incident? 
Well, he was afraid from then on, which is what I wanted, because he was so, you know, you're, you're so oppressed for so long. I mean, you're like in a, in a, can't, you know, a concentration camp. I mean, it's, I'm not going to the Nazi place, but, um, but it's so oppressive and your little soul dies because your genuine self, you know, I think my whole concept is we know who we are and what we want and what we want to be at six, you know, and that's before our parents take our computer and our hard drive and start reprogramming in what they want you to be and how they want you to say shit and how they want you to act and what they want you to do until you're like 13 and you don't, don't know who the fuck you are anymore. And then like, then you do, you go through a process of when you're 20 and then it's like, all of a sudden you're, you're a big ass drug addict because you're, you're fighting who you're supposed to be and you're unhappy. And it took me like till I was 40 you know, to go fuck you all. And what I realized, what I wanted when I was six is what I want, what I want now. And reestablish the fact and tell everybody else to go fuck themselves and just own who you are. You know what I mean? And that's sexually and that's, that's artistically and that's, you know, you find out where your heart is. And, you know, you can't blame all of them because they're a product of bad learning and their parents taught them bad learning and their parents' parents taught them bad learning. So that's not, you know, my self-concept cannot be created by these stupid people who didn't know any better. So I just, you know, started my own parade. Wow. You know, and <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. No, I, I you love know what it. I mean? And I, I just want to say that, you know, when I was six, you know what I wanted? I wanted one of those, little machines that you sat on when you were in the sand pit and you worked the handles and it scooped up sand and you moved it around and dropped it Oh my else. God. That's yeah. what I wanted. I think well, that's all I creative. knew. <laughs> you were always creative. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish what you, what you said at all, but yeah. Oh, you know, I don't find that. I don't, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting that picture then. So, so <laughs> when, when did you escape from mom and dad's house? Uh, when I was 19, okay, I went, I went away to college for like a year and, you know, and specialized in drugs and quaaludes and acid and fucking everyone down the, you know, boys and girls and dogs and whoever was available. Um, Poodles. You, I know I love the eighties. I just don't remember them, but um, I heard about Strasburg and the actor's studio. And when I came back, I was just so just, trashed from all the drugs and the speed and the whatever. And I was telling them my hands are shaking. And I told them, you know, I'm, I'm going to Strasbourg. I'm going to uh, the after studio and you can't stop me. So my father said, you know, if you get in fine, if you don't, you have to come home and be a fucking doctor or some, some such nonsense. So I was just like, cool. And I flew to New York, tried out for the after studio, didn't know it was hard to get in, didn't know it took people five years. I just went in, did a monologue, didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I got in that same day. Whoa. And I just didn't know. So I flew back to Chicago, got all my shit, flew back the next week. I was in a, I was in the actor studio with like, you know, Shelly Winters and Al Pacino and and all these like Alan Bart uh Burston and um just amazing. And all of a sudden I was in the middle of all this shit. Do you know what I mean? At nineteen doing, you know, um sensorial exercises, you know, and using your childhood, which for me was easy. You know, it was all material. Once I like embraced who I thought I was, everything was fair game. All my baggage was useful. Well, and it just helped me ascend all that oppression, which, well, you know, got to be a gift. Did, did you... Okay, so here's here's a and this is this is a question I I, uh, I ask a, a lot of writers, you know, and, and many people ask of of writers and creators is, you know, how much do we put of ourselves into our work? And, you know, when you started to do that, as you said, using your baggage and all the, the yeah. shit that you went through, was that? Yeah. Do you think that was a conscious decision, or is that something that just kind of bubbled out of you? I had to. It was it was a. It was just what I had to do. I don't, I just never even questioned it. I mean, I started writing plays and I started writing series. I started writing shit and it was all just from my perspective. And that's where I act. I act from my own bones. You know what I mean? Even if it's a character that's way far away from me, 
there's a part of, I mean, if it's a killer, there's a part, you know, you could kill a fly. So you have that murderous quality in you. So if you make that the biggest part of you, then you're a killer. And I just, if I have to start from my own bone and my own psychosis or, you know, it's not true for me. And it really crystallized when I did my one man show because it's so revealing. I mean, it's an hour and a half of raw motherfucking material. And it's really funny, but then it's shocking. Well, to the audience, not to me. And um, and so they're laughing and they're crying and they don't know what's happening next. And it's like on a, a, a runaway train that you can't get off of. And they're so affected by it, which is just so genius, because I use all the, the parental shit and I use my growing up and I use my rebellion and I use my recovery and I use my drug addiction and I use my you know, how you ascend from being this, this unformed plasma that's just being abused and, and self-doubt and unloved and all this shit, how you, how you own your own worth and your own place in the, in the world and at the table. And um, so it's, you know, it's always regurgitating and fabulous. I mean, people say, you know, they come back and it's like the mothers go, oh my God, and they're always crying and they want to hug me. And the young kids go, you know, I'm so glad that's not my experience. And, um, <laughs> you know, and I, it's just, and there's an out of body experience. Cause I was, I rolled 17 cars and I almost, I broke every bone in my body and I had out of body experience and almost died. And so it's like, I have quite the story <laughs> and I have oh. no problem talking about it. Well, now, how, did, how did you start up the one man show? What, what kind of led to that? Well, I was studying at the, the play, uh, the uh, Beverly Hills Playhouse with Milton Gonzalez, who's just like, was a genius director and teacher. He was just like this voodoo crazy witch. And um, he, it started by him, him being a fan, you know, I mean, uh, Strasberg said, it's just so interesting. Strasberg said that um, my talent is so unique that it needs to be seen. Milton said I was the most um, interesting person he's ever met, taught, or directed. And like, you know, those were all words till you like believe them. So he gave people an exercise to do a little monologue that was true or not true. So I did like, I don't know, 10 minutes of a monologue that was you know 90 percent true because most of my shit's true unless i embellish because that's the way i want to see it um and he said i don't care what the fuck you do you have to do this so i said cool so really um i waited till after he died because i wanted to do um i did some scenes from who's afraid of virginia wolf and i played the liz taylor part oh, yeah and so they, they, we did it for a, you know, a group of like 200 and they lost their mind, standing ovation, all this bullshit. So we wanted to get the rights to do it like that in theater. And so this producer said, I'm not, I don't want to do that, but I'll do your one man show. And I said, oh, well, okay. And I got this friend of mine, Terry Hanauer, who's a genius director who directed Smothered. And I was just like, you want to do this? So she said she, she had seen my 10 minutes and uh, that's just how it happened. So we started putting it together. I started writing. I thought I had like an hour, but I had 10 minutes. So I just kept writing shit and I used everything that, <clears throat> that I went through. And it just became like uh, an amazing, the reviews were sick. Like I wrote them myself. I did it in London. I did it in New York. I won all these awards and Really, that started me on the path to myself. I mean, I sound like fucking Madonna, but um, <laughs> it was like I'd never I, I just like, you know, every time you do it and, and it's so personal and it's just you. I mean, there's nothing scarier than uh, uh, being on stage. But you know what? I'm built for public way better than private. Well, I was, you know? th- I was thinking it must have been tough for you being up there because it seems like you wouldn't like getting all that attention. Right. It seems like that, <laughs> but I'm starved for attention, apparently, and I will do anything to get it. Now, what? So, what was what was life like for you then? Being being a young man, 
mm-hmm. you know, around all these amazing people and, and really learning your craft and kind of honing your craft. And at the same time, you were you were dealing with kind of the the speed and the, the sex addiction, too, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I had like Dr. Feelgoods all over the place and I would go in there and it's, you know, in the time I was smoking four packs a day and I'd go into the doctor, you know, and this fake weight clinic and um, I'd be smoking and he'd be smoking and I'd be coughing. And I'm saying, do you think the cough has anything to do with the cigarettes? And he'd be going, no, don't be stupid. I was like, cool. And so he, I was like, I just have to keep the weight off. I'm doing modeling and this, that, and he said, I understand. So he'd give me, you know, three months worth of speed. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I, I it started when, you know, in college that first year. I was just having sex with everybody. And it's just like, you know, that little thing when you're so unappealing or what you, you know, there's so much abuse and there's so much rejection. And that's why, you know, acting and being rejected didn't bother me at all because I was, I grew up with rejection. Everything I did was rejected. And um, so to me, it was just part of life. Oh, you don't like this? Okay, cool, next. And uh, that's how I am now. I think it's like, oh, you're not gonna use me for this? It's bad choice on your part, but okay. You know, I feel sorry for them because they don't have the vision. No, no. Did you do more stage acting or, or film or, or what was your career like? Well, in, in New York, I did all stage. Tons of stage. And I did at the actor studio. We mounted all kinds of shit. And we toured with stuff. And um, and uh, I just did all kinds of theater and off Broadway. And uh, that was just amazing. And then I, I visited L.A. and wound up getting a pilot a short-lived pilot with Treat Williams. And uh, I was playing this, you know, this jail with t- this jail thing with tattoos all over me. You know, I was your homie. And uh, I just looked like it was so great and so not me. And it was genius and it was great. And then I start, I got, so that I, that's when I moved to LA, you know, and I didn't know that I left New York till I couldn't find the subways anymore. And I just like got an agent and got, I was like started working for two years. And then all of a sudden I'm writing sitcoms and I don't know, I just backed into shit. And then I was doing stand up. I was doing, st- oh, I was doing stand up in, in New York too. And I got married, stayed married for nine months. And uh, that's a whole nother story to a real woman. And, um, <clears throat> <laughs> was, was that like an Elton John kind of marriage then or? You know what? We were living together. She kept asking me. We were doing stand-up comedy together. She was this wild, psychotic model. And we were like, oh, there was something like, you know, so matey about it. But I was still fucking half of New York. And, um, you know, we had an unspoken agreement, which she didn't really know about, that I was just (laughs) going to go fuck everything. And then we got married and I was just like, oh, fuck, what the fuck did I just do? I never wanted to be married. I just, it was never, I don't. I never wanted kids. I never wanted to be married. It was just never anything that looked appealing, especially where I came from. I didn't want to recreate that at all. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. I didn't want to do that to children. I mean, I suppose I'd be a fabulous father. My kid would be naked running through the forest, you know, with sparklers. <laughs> but... Well, I, you know, I think that we can understand that, though. You know, with the with the environment you were raised in, you you didn't. I mean, that's that's what you knew. That's what that's what family oh, was. Yeah. And you didn't want that, and yeah. No. Wow. And you know what? It's interesting with the gay and the thing. My my mother was always so like they're both so liberal in in the way they lived, not in the way they thought, but in the way they lived. Because I would watch them get be Monday, be all skinny and I mean, fat and puffy. And on Friday, they'd be skinny and sexy and going out, you know, and I watched this over and over and over. It was like a magic trick. And that's when I realized it was those vitamins they were taking. You know, the vitamins were fucking speed. So and my mom always had gay hairdressers, you know, or at that time, you know, they were in the closet gay or they were out, whatever. And she was just like, you know, and they would cut my hair and I'd watch them with all the jewelry and the whatever. And they were hot and they were free. And, you know, so, I mean, we were and my mom was all into theater. My father was not. He was all into hockey. And uh, so, you know, I mean, we were all and we were really like segregated. 
I mean, we, I'm a Jew light, you know, which means I'm, you've watched the series just as tasty without the guilt. And um, <laughs> so we'd have these one, two Jewish holidays a year that we'd like practice. And all of my black friends that were on the basketball teams and our, the, the cremets, which are, were our, our cheerleaders, they would come, they would be on uh, around the tables during the Jewish holidays. So, I mean, you know, we never questioned, you know, people's color of skin. It's not like we didn't see it, but we didn't give a shit. So it's like that's, that was a dichotomy of an open environment, but yet so oppressive. Like, I couldn't be who I wanted to be because that didn't go along with what my father wanted for himself. And we became, you know, it's like our parents, you know, they can't help it, but we're a reflection of them. And it's more important that they look good than we be happy. Yeah. At least that's where mine was. Well, and you, and you know, I I think that, well, not not to get not to get too uh, serious about it, because uh, because we're we're you being serious, we're being serious, but kind of funny at the at the same time. But you know, I think that that's something that, at least I hope, is starting to change a little bit. You know, I, I know I know we're not like that with with my kids. Thank thank goodness. I know that with my mom and dad, um, you know, they they were you know, a couple that, you know, was very liberal appearing, but I, right. I, they had uh, some more conservative values. And, and I think that, you know, we, we never heard about, you know, LGBTQ people at all, you know, it just, it wasn't ever something that was talked about or had, had representation in my household. And, and, and so I think that that's, that's actually more common than people want to admit that, you know, people, Maybe maybe liberal on the outside, but you know they they don't want it in their family. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, a director asked me, you know, was I ever was I ever in the closet? And so I just said, "Whose?" <laughs> Half of New York's. Yeah, oh, that's for <laughs> damn sure in a quarter of L.A. But. <laughs> But it's so funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all funny. And I think um, I made peace with my parents before they kicked. And um, they came to a show. One of the shows that I did with it was called Cracks in the Mask, which was very revealing. And I had four characters on stage. And the only time they were honest was directly to the audience in a spotlight. Otherwise, they would lie to each other and to themselves. But when they were having a real moment, they would tell the audience. So mine was really revealing. And, and my parents flew to, to uh, L.A. to see the play. And so apparently friends of mine told me my mother cried through the whole thing. And my father, you know, uh, said, you know, oh, you know, uh, that Strasbourg shit you did where you cried. That was good. And my mother was like, I'm so sorry, your child was so horrible. And I was like, girl, we're done with that. We're good. Oh. And it was just like, so that was like one of the first times that they saw. I mean, I took out, you know, that she was affair, having affairs all over the place because I didn't think they, they needed to experience that in a group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Doris Roberts was one of my best friends before she kicked and so she's been to my one man show like, you know, 30 times. And I said, my, do you think my, 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 my parents need to see this? <laughs> so she was like, no, honey, they don't. And I was like, okay, cool. Cause I thought it was the best thing I ever did, but you know, I'm oblivious to how raw it is. Well, because it's, it's you and because you're you, I mean, you don't, you know, real quick, is there, is there any place we can, like, was that ever recorded and put online, that one man show? You know what, I'm going to, uh, we recorded it a lot of times, but it's a, it's a one camera and you lose like 50% of the, the, the experience okay. of, of being a voyeur, you know, part of the audience and part of the experience. Cause the whole thing takes place in an audition for uh -huh. Hamilton Unplugged, you know, for a very intimate, where you play 17 characters. And um, so I'm auditioning and I can't audition and do my monologue until I purge what happened in my childhood. 
So I keep starting this monologue and it reminds me of shit that happened and I and it breaks and I have to talk and I make the audience, the casting directors and the directors. And I mean, it's an interactive experience. So the long answer is I won't put it on yet till I do it with three cameras and I'm proud of it. Otherwise, as soon as this pandemic shit, I was flying to New to Chicago in March to do the show again. Oh, wow. And um, so when they opened up, <clears throat> maybe we'll do it in Michigan. Yeah, well, I, but, would, uh, I would love that because it, it, it sounds amazing. It sounds like something my, my wife and I would absolutely love. And, and we actually have some, you know, we have some, some big, uh, big venues here in Michigan. Nothing like Chicago, but we've got some decent places. Well, we'll talk. Yeah. I love it. I love doing that show. And I love to me, there's nothing better than going on a ride with the audience because the audience be. just goes with you. Well, you yeah. know, I mean, it's so personal and there's nothing like for me interacting with the energy and the emotions because like they become part of the play for me. And I just love co-creating with, you know, hundreds of people. <laughs> I mean, well, it's yeah. like one on one, you know, it's not the same. Well, it, it's it's yeah, it's it's all about the connection. And, and that's what I was I was telling you earlier. You know, when people hear personal stories on this show. I think that there's so much more connected than when people are just talking about a subject. You know, we've we've had people come on and um, academics come on and talk about all sorts of very important things, but people connect so much more with uh, with the personal stories. And this is going to be this is going to be way off topic, but I've been sitting here okay. just staring at your your avatar here because uh, we're on Skype with with uh, no video, and I was thinking the. The role I would love to see you play is I, I want to see you as you in, in a movie. So you're your same personality, your same charisma. But I want you to be a contract killer. Oh, my God. My favorite. Oh, I would love I would that. I fucking love that. Oh, it would never see you coming. <laughs> see, that's my concept. How brilliant would that be? Someone with a sense of humor, but a cold-blooded motherfucking killer who just gets off on it. Yes. Yes. I'm so there, Jay. For oh, right the fucker. Oh, I know. Do you know in my early career, I played a lot of killers. I mean, I did these B movies, and I killed like 17 people in one movie. And um, it was with Wings Hauser, who's like fell out. Cole Hauser is his son, and so he directed me in this thing. And it was just like I was a like Latin Jerry, who was like this producer of snuff films. And I would go to bus stops and I would gather all these young kids telling them they were going to be stars. And we'd set up <clears throat> situations like Deer Hunter, you know, with the gun, uh, the suicide, the Russian roulette. Yeah. And they, we'd actually have them kill themselves oh, with blood no. spurting all over. And I'd be like laughing like a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I was gay with a lover. It was oh, hysterical. Oh, I am here for that. I love it. Well, now, you. see, you're just as sick as I am. I, I love. That. Oh my gosh, I, I so am. I I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's what makes your audience happy. I am sure. Well, in in one of our emails, in one of our many emails back and forth uh, leading up to this, um, mm -hmm. I, I was I was kind of t I was going back and forth with you about what we're going to talk about today. And one of the, the things you wrote to me randomly towards the end of the email, and I'm, and I'm quoting here, everyone, is uh, I'm an artist, I'm special, I'm inspiring, I'm out of my mind in the best possible way, and oh yeah, I'm gay. And, and I, I absolutely love this because it's just this series of very simple, decisive statements. And it, it's... So this is the these are the type of statements that come from a person who is very confident and proud of who they are and when did you start to get to this point where you're you're a statement you're you're confident it it was a progression it was just a progress i love that that quote it's like someone <laughs> else wrote it about me <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm very, it's like, I like when I read interviews when I, that I've done, I'm always impressed by how smart I am because you know, that's not necessarily my, my whole concept, but I know it's true. Um, you look good you know, on paper. It's like, it's like hearing your voice on a recording. You go, that's me. Um, but it's, it's just been a progression. It started, um, the more I embrace myself and the more like the, 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 
the things where I just put myself out there and the one man show and the getting sober and the, the looking at yourself and standing in front of 400 people and telling your story and, and, and just owning that, you know, you're flawed and your flaws are, are like your gold and, and everything you've gone through, somebody else can learn from something and helping other people and seeing the light go on in their eyes and that you're responsible for it. And that, you know, my self-concept is everybody's perfect. God doesn't make any fucking mistakes. Do you know what I mean? So uh, if you believe that, then you are perfect. Then all this bullshit you went through is just bullshit. What, you know, take a shower, wash it off. And it's constantly policing that, you know, the inner voices, you know, and I call it, you know, the radio station KFOP. Because like when you wake up, it could be really loud. You know, you're a piece of shit. You're nothing. You're unlovable. You're not talented. Who told you you could sing? Which is really my father's voice. And it's like, now I get to the point in Milton, that director we talked about before, used to say, those voices are going to be there. And if you try and fight them, you're not going to win. Because they are stronger. They've had a lot more experience. So that's all you have to do is wave and say, no, I hear you. Thanks for sharing. And keep, keep sweeping the floor. You know, I got shit to do, but thanks. You know, I've seen it now, put it away. And it's like, so it's not, so the more you do that, it's the muscle of like, I'm great. I'm great as I am, you know? And because uh, I really thought I was like Asperger's because I didn't, I wasn't emotionally involved when horrible shit happened anymore. And I thought, where, where's my emotional life? Because I'd rather be paid for emotion than feel it in real life because it's less tedious, but I, the one man show, the having people respond to me where I don't really, I'm not going for response, but they respond to me in a way that just is shocking to my little inner child and it gets all happy. Like I just did this pilot and it's the, the road you travel, you know, the road less traveled and that you choose to do. Um, it was such a golden experience. I mean, it's called I Run Hot, and it's um, Alana Glazer and, and Elliot Glazer from Broad City, and he wrote it and she directed it, and Colin Hayes, who is just amazing and generous, and everybody knows him like from what Arrow and whatever, he's beautiful and sensitive. And it was just like they were just supported everything I did. You know, every uh, improv, improv, they just encouraged me to be whatever I found. And I was just like living in this pool of happiness. You know, I was like in the light. I was sharing my shit. And it's just like you gain a trust of yourself that you can do anything and that you can't fail. You know, and it's never, I don't think that the whole concept of, of, I don't think you fail. It's just whatever you were doing failed. You didn't, you'll have a better choice and you'll do something else as you walk down, you know, the path. But it was just, I love to be loved. You know what I mean? And this pilot, when it goes, cause it's going to, I will have a job to go to because they're writing me in. And it was just, yeah, isn't that cool? That's a that's amazing, and that's you said that was uh, Peacock. That was just last week. Or, it was AMC Peacock. AMC Peacock. Okay, that's no, that's that's just so so damn cool. And I and I I watch your pictures on when they pop up on Facebook. Uh, you know that you that you had taken while you were shooting. It was pretty fun. Oh my god! And I bleached the fuck out of my hair two weeks earlier just because I was bored as fuck. You know, <laughs> so and it just happened to be perfect for the part. They wanted some. You know, it was supposed to be 80, but it was some George Hamilton E whatever, you know, who was stuck in the 80s. And uh, I just did like, you know, my my little my audition. And it was just it was the one because now when you're doing self tapes, you kind of do it yourself and you have somebody else read and you send in the shit. This one was a live uh, cast. It was a Zoom with a person. Which for me, interaction is like the key to life. So I was playing with her and I was playing. And so it was just like, it was just joy from the get-go, you know? And everybody on that set was gorgeous and fabulous. And 
I just love these people so much. I mean, it was such a, uh, you know, a goddamn gift. And you wait so long, you know. And I'm, I've, I've written my, you know, acceptance speech for the um, Emmy and the Academy Awards at six. <laughs> so this is a long time coming. And when I was watching, watching the fucking Emmys the other night, I like, you know, I picture everything, and I'm like, you know, so, uh, and you know, and I saw myself you know, accepting award for this pilot, you know, for, you know, guest star on a series. I just see shit. Well, and listen, listening to your, listening to this story, uh, because, you know, many people and not just queer people, you know, have, have grown up in really unpleasant situations. And it seems like your confidence and your strength came not only from within yourself, but from also, putting yourself in with the right people, the people at the theater or the, the people working on films who who appreciate you and who are the, the type of people you want to be with. And that was really a good, a good situation, a good environment for, for you to blossom in. Oh my God, yeah, 100% true. And it's a weeding process. You know, if life's a garden, you got to take out the people that don't support you. Wow, and, I, I like that, I like that. You know, and that's a whole job. Because there's that, you know, you're addicted to, to familiar negativity. And it's like, once you give that shit up and realize, you know, I don't need to chase people that are unavailable because my father was, <laughs> or, or people that are big fat whores like my mom, you know, who was glad. Oh, there was one story that, that you could appreciate. I used to watch my mom because she was very sexy. She looked like Liz Taylor. And she always had like oodles of tits hanging everywhere and very tight skirts and mini things and whatever. And I used to watch her go up this escalator and all the men in all these stores, you know, would just stare at her. And I was just like, I want that, you know? And it took me a minute to realize I didn't want to be her. I just wanted that attention. Yeah. And, and see, to me, it doesn't seem like you're kind of person that likes attention at all. I know. See, well, I was the shyest person in the entire world. But no one believes that at this point. <laughs> well, so, so tell me about uh, all your, your projects right now. Plug, plug your stuff. I'm, I'm so excited about we're, uh We're in the process. We're uh, episode four of writing episode four of Smothered. So second season, we're pitching it to big-ass producers in town to make it a... Right now, it's, it's like five-minute episodes, seven five-minute episodes of season one. And the second season is getting like 10 minutes-ish, another seven. But we're pitching it to huge peeps um, as a 30-minute series because my literary manager is amazing, Cherie Guitar. We love her. And... Um, and I'm doing that, which is really exciting. And then I we're pitching my one-man show as a series. And the, the series is called Sweet Dreams because it's anything but. But the show is called Mutant Olive. And um, so that's really exciting because that's just raw material. And my father's some hateful shit and some really funny shit. And uh, this pilot is going to go and it's just I run hot. Uh, maze balls. I couldn't love them more. And then at the, I wrote, you know, this pandemic is, you know, if it takes a pandemic for me to get famous, fuck it all. It's all worth it. And um, I, I wrote two screenplays. I wrote a pilot, another short. And so I'm filming this, uh, this short called Peeling the Stinky Onion. And it's a black comedy all about a grief group. And it's really funny and really fucking edgy. And, um, I'm shooting that the 20th and 21st. We're starting this month, which I'm really excited about with Liz Gorsey. And she's amazing. She's uh, collaborating on this. And Helen Hung, who's from, she's amazing. She was in uh, Silicon Valley and now she's in Unicorn and uh, some other brilliant people that I'm doing an Alzheimer moment now. But um, it's just so, yeah, so I've been busy as fuck. And I, you know, again, riding my bike, so I'm not suicidal or homicidal. Um, and like that no sex thing is starting to wear thin. So <laughs> I'm fucking single, boys and girls. I'm in L.A. DM me, motherfuckers. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, do you have a specific type you're looking for? You know, as you can imagine, <laughs> I'm quite open to a lot of shit. <laughs> All you pool owners, <laughs> come on over. Yeah, I'm like, I'm really, I'm, I'm like creatively open. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, that what's funny is I think that that's what the next generations are going to be. They're just going to be creatively open to whatever. And, and I couldn't love it more. <laughs> oh, I'm so there for all of it. I mean, growing up, if we had, if you and I had that fluid shit going. Yep. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. I would have been like proudly fucking everyone in sight. I mean, I still was, but I wasn't the parade then. You know, I didn't have the banner. <laughs> like, I didn't care what color they were. I didn't care if they had a dick or a pussy. It was all good to me. <laughs> well, it all feels good, right? Oh, my God. It's all great. And, and like, you know. As a gay man, I love women and I love to be surrounded by women and I love the women mentality. And it's like, you know, you know, when people are like going, oh, I'm a, you know, a gold star gay. That's not my experience. You know, good for you. I've got no judgment on anything, but I fucked everything. <laughs> and it was a good thing. You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> it's a, it's a shame that I can't just put I fucked everything as the episode title to this. <laughs> I encourage you to do whatever you want. <laughs> Uh, well, Mitch, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on Unafraid. Oh, my pleasure. And it's like being unafraid makes this the perfect match. And you're such a good uh, interviewer. Oh, well, thank you. Made you made it effortless. You're 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 making me feel good, just like the uh, the theater people made you feel good. I'm loving this. <laughs> <laughs> now it's because you ask like you know you just like there's a there's a way of me in the audience and there's a way of you and your interviewer you like slide in there ask a question it was great i really enjoyed it that's that's my move that the slide on in there no, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it i do i do well everybody everybody out there thank you so <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I, I hope you enjoyed this show. I, I know I really did. Uh, thank you again, Rebecca Jonesy, for being the sponsor to this show. We really appreciate you. And I know you're going to love this episode because you've got a dirty mind, too. Um, and Rebecca, you rock, mama. Thank yeah, you for yes, doing Yes, she this. does. Yes, she does. All right, everybody. Until next week, stay safe and stay strong. <laughs>